Thank you, Pastor Mike, for that prayer. Well, if you would, we're going to continue in our study of the Gospel of John this morning, and we're going to be looking at John chapter 15 and verses 18 through 27. Before I begin, I do want to reiterate what Pastor Dan said in the announcements this morning. Um, when we take our Deacons Fund offering, which you can give at one of the slots around the church, or you can give online, when you give to the Deacons Fund offering today, everything given to the Deacons Fund will go to Brianna Mason and her young son Garrett to help them through this difficult time. Her husband Jacob very unexpectedly uh, passed away, and so we want to help her out as much as we possibly can. We're, I want to do two things with this passage. One, we're going to finish John chapter 15. We're going to come to the end of John chapter 15, second. We're going to, excuse me, prepare our hearts for the Lord's Supper. I think it's always important that we prepare our hearts and minds before we take communion. In verses 18 through 27, Jesus is with his disciples the night before he is crucified. And this is what he says to them. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my Father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. Our first point this morning is do not be surprised. As always, context is critical to understanding any passage of Scripture. Now, for those of you who have been part of this church for many years, you may be growing weary of hearing Pastor Tim talk about context. And I'm sure I sound like a broken record, and I probably will for the remainder of my years here, because I just think context is just absolutely critical. Taking verses, taking passage of Scripture out of context has been a danger throughout church history. In fact, I want to give you a little key this morning. If you hear someone teaching and you think this sounds like false teaching this doesn't sound biblical immediately immediately look for verses of scripture out of context 
when you hear someone criticizing the Bible, when you hear some critic of the Bible, whether you watch them on YouTube or you read an article by them, immediately, immediately look for verses out of context. That's always their modus operandi. That's always their go-to. It always is. So we have a responsibility and an obligation when we teach Scripture, whether we're preaching from the pulpit, sharing in a small group, witnessing to someone, teaching our children, whatever the context may be, we need to teach Scripture accurately. That is our responsibility to do that. And the context here is very important. We need to know what was said in the first 17 verses if we are to understand verses 18 through 27. Jesus has said, I am the vine, and my Father is the vine dresser, and you are the branches. Jesus is the source of all true spiritual life. There is no other source. The Father constantly prunes us and disciplines us because the Father wants us to trust and depend on Jesus and on him alone. So he will allow whatever trials, even sufferings, to come into our life so that our dependence is on Christ and not on me, not on other people, not on things, but on Christ. And we are the branches. And the branches can do nothing unless they are firmly rooted in the vine. Jesus commands us to abide in the vine. That's his commandment to us. In fact, we cannot bear fruit. We cannot bear any good fruit that will bring glory to God unless we abide in the vine. And apart from abiding in the vine, we can do nothing. Nothing. And we abide in the vine by so loving Jesus and being so consumed with Jesus that his resurrection life in us transforms who we are and how we live. And we abide in the vine by abiding in his word. And when we abide in the vine by abiding in his word, we will abide in his love. And when we abide in his love, we are filled with the joy of the Lord. That is where our joy comes from. And Jesus also commands us to love one another. We looked at that last week. And we saw that we cannot love one another in our own strength. We cannot just give ourselves a pep talk and say, you know what, I need to start loving other people better. No, we love one another by abiding in the vine by abiding in his word and abiding in his love. Other Christians will not always treat you like they should. Other Christians will not always agree with you. But we are to love them anyway. In fact, our unity together and our love for one another is one of our greatest witnesses to the world. Jesus said they will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. So our entire understanding of verses 18 through 27 depends 
on verses 1 through 17. This is a sobering passage. Jesus wants his disciples to know that they will be hated by the world and persecuted by the world because they belong to him. Those are strong words. Hate. They will hate you. They will persecute you. Verse 18, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If the world hates you, know that you're in good company. Because it hated me first. The author of love and mercy and grace. And they hated him. Now when it speaks of the world, this is important here. It is speaking of the world's system and philosophy. It is speaking of the world as Satan being the prince of this world. It is the evil. Because John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world. That means he loved people for the sake of the gospel. This is a different use of the word world. It is the world's philosophy. It is the world's worldview, if you will. And there are many things that we could say about the world and why they would hate us. But there is something at the very heart and soul of this. There is something at the foundation of the world that all of us need to understand. And that is this. The world, apart from Christ, those who are in power in any culture or seek to be in power in any culture, they want to determine the rules. They want to make up the rules. And they want to make up morality. They want to determine what morality is. They want to determine what is right and what is wrong. They reject the truth about God and they reject God's written truth. Always. Always. And they make up their own and then they demand that you conform. Al Mohler has a wonderful quote, and he was speaking on this specific passage of Scripture. Al Mohler writes this. He says, the world is always a giant engine of conformity. It is. There's a great quote to keep. The world is always a giant engine of conformity. Folks, this is not new. This goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. When Satan comes to Eve, what does he say? Did God really say? Did God really say, Eve, you're not really going to believe what God said. I'm not sure you can trust what God said. But we have seen this in every culture. We see it in the Egyptian, the great Egyptian empire in which the Israelites were enslaved. They demanded conformity, and if you didn't conform, you were rejected. This was true of the great Assyrian Empire. This was true of the Babylonian Empire. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were asked to conform, to bow down to the great idol, the great statue that Nebuchadnezzar had built. It was true of the Medo-Persian Empire. Daniel was asked to conform. All the people were told for a period of time they could pray to no one except King Darius, and Daniel, therefore, was thrown into the lion's den. It was true of the Roman Empire. Oh, was it ever true of the Roman Empire? You either conformed or you were rejected. 
and many of our brothers and sisters in Christ were brutally killed in the Colosseum of Rome. It was true of the former Soviet Union. It is true of communist China. Folks, it is true of every single culture in the world today, and it is true of our culture right now, and we know that. We are being asked to conform to a brand new definition of sexual morality and sexual identity. We are being asked to conform to a brand new definition of marriage. We are being asked to conform to a total rejection of the sanctity of human life. And if you don't conform, you're on the wrong side of history. And there are some opportunities you just won't have. But this is not new. Jesus said, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. He says in verse 19, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. We know this, we know this, we know this. There is tremendous, tremendous, tremendous pressure to conform. To say this is okay, and this is okay, and this is okay. To compromise our understanding of the truth we find in Scripture, there is tremendous pressure on all of us to conform. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world. When you became a Christian, when you came to know Christ as Savior, Christ took you out of this world. You have a different king and a different kingdom. Your allegiance, we pay respect to our earthly leaders, but our allegiance is to Christ and to his kingdom. Our allegiance is to the word of God always has been and always will be. And because it is, and because we refuse to conform, the world will hate us. In verse 20, it says, Jesus says, Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. This is the second time in the same night that Jesus has taught this. He said in John 13, 16, a servant is not greater than his master. A messenger is not greater than the one who sent him. Again, he says, remember the word that same night that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. They persecuted me and they will persecute you. But there will be those who keep my word and they will keep yours also. And we see the irreducible minimum of life. There are always, though we can try to define many categories, it always breaks down into two camps. They're either for Christ or they're against him. And they're either for us or against us. There will be people who hate you because of what you stand for. But there will be those who believe the same way you do, who take the same stand you do, you will know them. You will know them. And the key verse is verse 21, the key verse for this whole section. But all these things they will do, but all these things they will do to you on account of my name because they do not know him who sent me. Everything they do to you, they will do to you on account of Christ. 
when you stand with Jesus, when you come to know him as Lord and Savior, and the preciousness of walking with him and abiding in him, it will create enemies. But remember this, they are not really hating you. They are not really persecuting you. They are persecuting and hating him. They will do it all on account of his name. The very name of Christ represents everything he is, and you stand with him. Well, our second verse, or excuse me, our second point is, the world is guilty, and we are not alone. The world is guilty of rejecting the Son and the Father. In verse 22, Jesus said, if I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. He said, if I had not come and spoke to them, they would not be guilty. Now, let me tell you what Jesus is not saying here, because it's easy to get confused. He is not saying, if I hadn't come into the world, they wouldn't have been guilty of any sin. They didn't even know they had sin until I came. And that's not what he's saying. What he is saying, again, in the context of the whole Gospel of John, and this is important, what Jesus is saying is, they are guilty of the ultimate sin of rejecting me as the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior who has come into the world. They are committing the ultimate sin of not believing that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. They refuse to believe that. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of this sin. But now they have no excuse. I have told them clearly over and over and over again who I am, that the Father has sent me, and that I am the Savior who has come into the world. We saw this in John chapter 9. Jesus heals a man who was blind from birth. And the Jewish religious leaders are furious because of all the attention this is placing on Jesus. And so they call the blind, the, man, the person who can now see, who was born blind, and he testifies powerfully for Jesus. And then they call his parents. And his parents say, we know that he was born blind, but who gave him sight? How he gave him sight? We don't know. Ask him. He's of age. Let him tell you. And then in John 9, 22, it says this. They said this because they feared the Jews. Because they had agreed, the Jews had agreed, that anyone who confessed Jesus to be the Christ was to be put out of the synagogue. And that was huge in that day. That was your whole life. Folks, this is what the Jewish leaders decided. Anyone who did not conform was out. Out out of the synagogue, out of Jewish culture, if they confessed that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ. So in verse 23, Jesus says, whoever hates me, hates my father also. Again, we find this woven throughout the Gospel of John. If they hate me, they hate my father can't separate Jesus from the Father, can't say, I reject Jesus as Messiah, I reject his crucifixion and resurrection, but I love God. Not a possibility. 
It's not. Because when you say, I believe in God, but I don't believe in Jesus, you're creating a God of your own imagination. It is not the God of Scripture. So in verse 24, again, he says, If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my Father. So not only do his words testify that he is the Messiah, but his works, all of his great miracles, testify that he is exactly who he claims to be. In John chapter 5, that great chapter that we looked at months ago, in John 5, 19, we read, So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. It's exactly what he's saying here. John 5, 23 that all may honor the Son as they honor the Father. Now watch this next sentence. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him, period. If you don't believe in the Son, you don't believe in the Father. If you don't honor the Son, you don't honor the Father. So Jesus brings it together in verse 25. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. The prophets said, and this is a whole sermon in itself, the prophets had written that when Messiah came, they would hate him without a cause. Actually, those words were specifically first written about David. David was a man after God's own heart, and his enemies hated him without a cause. Then when Messiah came, Jesus, they hated him without a cause. And here's the logic, here's the flow. If they hated David without a cause, if they hate Messiah without a cause, they will also hate you without a cause. They don't need a reason. They just hate you because of what you stand for. So do not be surprised. Now, if I was sitting in that upper room, this would be heavy. Okay, he's talked about abide in me. I'm good with that. Talked about love one another, okay. But now he says, they're going to hate you. And they're going to persecute you. And they're on the brink. They're on the doorstep of watching Jesus be crucified. So that the disciples do not feel overwhelmed and afraid. Because of what is about to happen, Jesus says, but when the helper comes. Man, praise God for verse 26. It is absolutely essential to this whole chapter. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me, and you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. This is the second time we've heard about the helper. Jesus taught about the helper in chapter 14. If you remember nothing else in your Christian life about the helper, remember this. You need a helper because you are helpless. Okay? You need a helper 
because you are helpless. The helper is about to come. This is a prophecy about Pentecost, which is in the near future for them. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, he is the spirit of truth. He always proclaims through you the truth about God and the truth about his holy word. Always, always. He is the spirit of truth. And a little doctrinal accuracy here. He proceeds from the Father and is sent by the Son. You don't remember that exactly, but just know this. It is both the Father and the Son who send the Spirit. It is both the Father and the Son who send the Spirit, and the primary function of the Holy Spirit is to glorify the Father and to glorify the Son. But when the Helper comes, the Spirit of truth, he will bear witness about me, verse 27, and you also will bear witness. Because you have the helper living in you, the Holy Spirit, when you proclaim the truth of the gospel, when you proclaim the truth about Christ, even in the midst of people hating and persecuting you, you will see some convicted of their sin, and you will know that's the Holy Spirit. You will see some believe in Christ, and you will know that is the work of the Holy Spirit because it cannot happen without him. When people show any interest at all, when people who are supposed to hate you show you kindness instead, you will know that is the work of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus is saying, abide in me and love one another because I'm going to send you to be a witness to the very people who hate you and persecute you. So here's verse 15. As you abide in Christ and as you love one another, the world will persecute you and hate you. But by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the power of the Helper, you are to be his witnesses to those people. You know, there's a tension in the Christian life. Always there is. I read a passage like this and I just say, Tim, be faithful. Just be faithful. Every day, every week. Be faithful to Christ. Be faithful to the gospel. Be faithful to love one another. But at the same time, there's a part of me that's like, Lord, this is not always easy. This is hard. How long? How long, O oh Lord, before you return? How long? before you take me home to be with you. We're going to sing that song after communion. How long, O oh Lord? But it's always that way. It is always. It's a good tension. It's a biblical tension. Be faithful. Every single day, be faithful. At the same time, we yearn for a day when all things will be made right. Well, at this time, we're going to share communion together. And for those of you who might be here for the first time among us, what we're going to do is one deacon will pray for the bread and for the cup. The deacons will hand out the bread and the cup together. They'll come in a little stack. And when everyone has been served, I will read a passage of scripture and we will eat and drink together. For those of you who are watching by live stream, we just encourage you to use this as a time of reflection and meditation. One more thing, 
very important. So I, I, I just want to make sure everyone's paying attention. Next month, June, the pastors, deacons, and elders have agreed together that next month we're going to return to the format for communion that we used prior to COVID. So we're going to go to the larger crackers that will be handed out separately, just like we used to do for all those years. And the juice in a second pass will be handed out separately, giving us an even longer time for meditation and reflection. So we'll say more about that. I just want to prepare you for that for June. Now, we spent a lot of time discussing this, and we know well, whatever we do, it will not please everybody. If you have fears still about COVID or about health in taking communion, we are going to emphasize that you can just let those trays pass you by. The most important, the most important thing about communion is that you have a time of reflection and meditation. So if when we return to that format, if you still have some health concerns, you're still a little uncomfortable with that, it's okay. It's okay, just use the time, just like our live stream people always do. Use it as a time of meditation and reflection. Also, in June, communion will be on the second Sunday, not on the first. Our first Sunday, Sunday the 5th, will be graduation Sunday. And so we will serve communion on Sunday the 12th. At this time, we will share the Lord's Supper together.